Welcome to this week's edition of the Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, it is a week two preview. The 49ers wrap up their two-game East Coast trip against the Eagles on Sunday. And with me this week, officially manning the broadcast feed because we are live, it is David Newman. We're doing it live. We're we doing, doing it live. live. We are. Uh, uh, this is a, a whopping our very first live stream. Yeah, uh, it's great. We're going to try out for the for the for, for the folks that subscribe on the Patreon. Uh, we're going to live stream the pods. You will get it live streamed as it happens. Everyone else, subscribe to the feeds. You'll get it just a couple of days later. But this is our our maiden live stream voyage. Oh, we'll not a couple of days. Let's not. Let's. Oh, get that's like right. The next, day. the next day. Yeah. The next day. Yeah. So, yeah it, things, look, this hey, is still rapid fire. Patreon.com slash better rivals. You can get in. You can be one of the Patreon elite. You can get this stuff early. You get the live stream access. Get on and me. you can watch me drink beer out of a helmet. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we've we've got a good episode for you. We've got uh, it's going to be our first uh, like two two episode week, uh, I think, in, in a while. So this week we've got basically reviewing to see if we have anything new from the Lions All 22. We're going to give you a quick rundown, talk about some of the new signings the Niners have to bolster the injuries. We couldn't uh, like one week since the last accident. We're, we're already in there. Uh, and then we're going to give you a little bit of an Eagles preview for a game that I'm a little bit more worried about than I was before both the injuries and watching the game uh, this past uh, over the last couple of days. So uh, let's get first to the Lions. Now that we have gone beyond postgame reactions, watch some of the All-22. Is there anything else that you took away? Anything else that you saw where you're like, okay, I added some more detail and color based on what I saw in the All-22 than, than what I saw broadcast? Yeah, I mean, I think the the main thing that uh, I was interested to focus on was the run defense, which is a surprising sentence to say out loud. But hey, here we are. Um, it's a new year, new you. You're new, running. New year, new me. That's right. Uh, yeah, you're running. You're doing all the things. You know, this is this is basically your midlife crisis, and you are now invested in the run game. I mean, let's let's not get carried away here. But uh, yeah, I, I think as far as you know, things um that that you wanted a closer look at that you couldn't necessarily get all of the information that you wanted to um in terms of just like the more major storylines coming out of uh that Lions game I think the run defense was a big one right because I think offensively things looked really good again and and I don't know that there was a lot of additional you know insight that we needed to glean there from from the coach's tape right there were some things that we looked at that were uh interesting and and that's fine but I don't know that there was any major takeaways that changed because of of watching that offensive tape right so i think defensively was kind of the big story like what happened there and specifically you know that they were getting gashed like we talked about this in in the recap episode right after the game but i mean they they were averaging uh the lines were like over five yards per carry in the first half and and that was even with some positive plays creating some tackles for losses you know from the 49ers defensive line so uh they they were ripping off some big chunks of yardage and then it was just kind of more of a game script thing that led to them having to completely abandon the run in the second half right and and have all those pass attempts to catch up and it really was the interior defensive linemen and surprisingly the linebackers we we talked a little bit about run fits on, on previous shows but if you remember run fits are really about making sure that every gap is accounted for and you basically don't want to get out gapped. And the way that gap schemes work and the way that a lot of th- those schemes will work is they'll basically move a gap to a different area, which means the defense has to adjust. And that's what was happening to the Niners on some of the split zone plays. 
that they got hit with early in the first quarter uh, and really through, I think, a little bit in the second quarter as well, where that tight end will kind of move across the formation and hit the backside defensive end. And it basically takes a gap away from one side, moves it over, moves it over to another. Well, that means that everyone on the defense has got to basically bump gaps. They've got to move over to account for that new gap that's been created. And if not everyone is on the same page, if people aren't moving in concert, if one guy is out of position, then that's when you get a really big hole. And, and so I think that there were some times where the linebackers were just not on the same page. You've got Dre Greenlaw, who was out of position a couple times. Jaquaski Tart was out of position a couple times as well. And, and when you couple that with your interior defensive lineman getting washed across the play, most notably Zach Kerr, then that's going to open up some huge lanes for that running back to go into. So while I think the overall impression for me after watching the game was confirmed by watching the All-22, it was like, okay, yeah, now I can see exactly why. And it's just because right. they weren't playing gap sound football. Yeah, and, and I think that was... Um, something that, that both Shanahan and Fred Warner talked about, you know, when, when they were asked about what was going on with the run defense, uh, you know, that was kind of what their sentiments were. I mean, you had Fred Warner basically saying that, yeah, all of the, the big runs they had were kind of more technique issues. There were things that we could clean up. Um, and you know, you, you basically shouldn't end up in those situations, right. Where, where you have, you end up with multiple linebackers in the same gap because not everybody is adjusting and, uh, you know, in, unison with how they're going to kind of handle some of those motions right or, or some of the the movement post snap right whether that's the uh, tight end coming across in the split zone whether that's you know offensive linemen getting out and pulling in some of the gap run stuff um, whatever it may be whenever you have that sort of gap movement that you're dealing with like everybody needs to be on the same page for how they're going to deal with that stuff and uh, they they obviously weren't there but I think that's kind of the the good thing is that a lot of the issues, a lot of the problems that they were having from a run defense perspective are things that should be able to be fixed, right? These are more mental assignment-based things. I mean, obviously, there, there were some uh, you know, guys just getting beat. You know, I think Zach Kerr was kind of the, the main problem there um, and, and was just getting kind of handled by the interior of that line's offensive line. You know, Ragnow and Jonah Jackson, I think, played really well. And then I think the other thing that's interesting, and, and we'll kind of touch on this, I think, a little bit when we get to the Eagles game later, but the, the Lions did a really good job of, of kind of scheming things up, right, and using motion and using movement um, to be able to get guys out of position. You know, there were a couple times that we, we talked about uh, in the Patreon video that we had kind of breaking this down where you see Jaquaski Tart kind of get pulled out of the box because he's got to follow somebody in motion, and that takes an extra run defender away um, from being able to kind of get in there and help and and fit things up for you. So, yeah, I, I think a lot of it is is stuff that they can get cleaned up, um, which is good. But they do need to, you know, get the, the interior defensive line, I think, is the area where you need to see guys step up. Like, they need to get better play there um, in, in terms of how some of those guys are handling blocks or, um, you know, there's only so much they're going to be able to do. Yeah, and for me, everyone's waiting on the return of, of Javon Kinlaw. His knee, it, he went through limited practice today. So he may actually be back for the Eagles game. I'm not so optimistic about his return just because I feel like knee tendonitis is one of those things that it will look and feel fine for a minute and then you play and then you're out for a couple of weeks. This is what Jalen Hurd has had to deal with. And this is why he keep, now he's on injured reserve as a result of his knee tendonitis. Uh, but apparently Mike McGlinchey and D Ford have both dealt with knee tendonitis and they've kind of emerged on the other side and, and been okay. So who knows what's going to happen with his knee specifically, but 
I, I do think that if if the interior of the defensive line needs and can only be saved by Javon Kinlaw, then the Niners are in a much worse off spot than we <laughs> yeah. thought they were along the interior. I, I do think that we might see a bounce back game for Zach Kerr. Zach Kerr played a really, really good year last year in Carolina. I don't know that what he did uh, in the game against the Lions was re- more reflective of him. Maybe it was. Maybe you sometimes just got to give the offensive line of the Lions credit. I mean, Ragnow is a really, really good center. Um, and Jonah Jackson, in the run game at least, was good. Um, so definitely something to watch out for. We'll talk more about the run game when we get to the Eagles. But the the, the rundown really is is injury-related at this point. Shocker. Because now, yeah, they're, now basically people are, are like, dropping like flies i mean you've got dre greenlaw who's out four to six weeks he's going to have surgery on his groin you've got raheem mostert who's now officially out for the year and i hope you all got elijah mitchell on waivers um if you didn't well i mean look jeff wilson comes back uh, after the, in a couple weeks anyway so it's probably not going to be that big of a deal <laughs> but yeah and and you've got new additions you've got Drake Kirkpatrick and trenton cannon who are going to try to bolster the defensive backfield and the running back position but it, it does suck at, to already be talking about injuries this early in the year. And, uh, and yeah, and we'll see. We'll see what happens. I don't know that there's anything else in the rundown that has happened over the course of this week other than injuries, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's injuries, and then it's obviously the, the couple of players that they've added, um, you know, to, to kind of fill things out, to take some spots for those injuries. And that's, that's basically it. So let's talk about them. Let's talk about the, the Trenton. The, let's talk about Trenton Cannon first. Because this is, this is, in my opinion, exactly the kind of guy you want to claim on waivers. Like, take a flyer on him. He's fast. He has a 4-4-40. His 10-yard split is 1.49 seconds. He's got a 38.5-inch vertical, uh, almost uh, like a 10-foot, 9-inch broad jump. I mean, basically, give him an open hole, have him run straight. Let's do it. Like th- this is why Matt Breida was such a good, um, a good pickup. J- just because you know what you've got athlete, you've got athleticism, you've got speed. Let's see what you can do. Like Trenton Cannon is in that realm. You're not looking for him to really be a world beater at this point. You're looking at him to fill a roster spot, work out on special teams, and hopefully he can turn his athleticism into something on the field. Um, and and yeah, and that's so I think it's like yeah, why not? Let's do it. Better than paying Le'Veon Bell or Devonta Freeman at this point. I mean, sure. Right. Yeah. Like, uh, I, I, I think we've shown, I mean, Elijah Mitchell is right. The perfect example of why, like you just, you can find guys readily available. Right. And, and whether Trenton Cannon will be another one of those guys that comes in and find success in this offense. Like, I don't know, but yeah, I mean, he has some traits there, some athleticism, um, that makes you think that there's a chance there. And obviously I think the 49ers have been very good with, you know, between Shanahan and Bobby Turner at, at identifying players that can fit with, with what they're doing. And so, um, yeah, I mean, who knows? He, he could be nothing more than a warm body at this point. Um, you know, while they wait for some of these guys to, to recover and get back, or he could be, you know, another hundred yard rusher for this team. Who knows? Speaking of warm bodies, let's talk about Drake Kirkpatrick. Barely. Uh, because he is someone who you think to yourself, okay, the Niners signed a veteran. Uh, he is now, uh, I guess in his, he was 2012 was his first year, first round talent. Now he's got over 5,700 snaps, 5,700 snaps of NFL football, and it's largely been not great. In 2020, he had, so the way that a lot of coaches and the way PFF grades film is they'll give you like an uptick, a positive for a good play, a negative for a negative play. In 2020, Drake Kirkpatrick had 16 positive plays, 
and 62 negative plays in coverage. That skews very, very negative. Is that a good ratio? It's not not a good ratio. No, not a good ratio. Not unless, uh, I guess, your video's inverted or you're a pilot or something like that. But look, it's already thrown me off, all right? I changed it for, I forget who already made the request. Whatever, the people that are listening to this, you have no idea what's going on, whatever. You have to join the Patreon to get in on the joke. Sorry. When you look at the 79 qualifying cornerbacks that were graded in man coverage last season, Drake Kirkpatrick grades out 53rd out of 79. Not great. But when you look at his performance in zone coverage, he ranks even worse. 73rd out of 79 qualifying corners. So I'm not entirely sure at this point in his career what he does well other than maybe get juked out of his socks by Amari Cooper and get flagged. Uh, so I think, you know, warm body maybe is what you're looking at for Drake Kirkpatrick. At this point, the, the team is trying to throw spaghetti against the wall with Norman, with Kirkpatrick. Uh, they might sign Richard Sherman. Uh, I think that, you know, that they've already explored that to see what's going on with him and whether or not he's right in his headspace. The Niners are basically scrambling to try to find something that sticks. And, and yeah, I mean, I don't know why they didn't put more effort in this a little earlier in the offseason, but at this point, they're trying to do it and, you know, keep their own spaghetti. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what other options they have at this point, right? They they don't have, uh, it's not like they can go and trade for, you know, some top-end guy that's going to save their season there. They don't have any trade assets. They um, did try to trade for someone, though. They inquired about someone. I'm going to get the research department on it. Let, give me a <laughs> second. You, yeah, get get that intern that we don't have on that question there. But yeah, I, I just, um, you know, I don't know what else they can really do at this point. Like I, I, unless they can find somebody that for some reason is available way cheaper than you would expect, right? They, they just don't have a lot of capital in the way of picks to go and, and be aggressive in the trade market and get somebody um, that's going to be, you know, worthwhile at, at that point. Um, and yeah, in terms of guys that are readily available, cornerback is not a position where you can frequently find players that are just out there on the street that are good quality guys right so that's why you're you're essentially throwing your spaghetti at the wall is because you have no other options right they they don't have another route to go because yeah it wasn't you know getting depth in the secondary wasn't something that they prioritized this, this offseason and so this is kind of the situation you put yourself in and that's you know not to say that that that's uh, a huge glaring mistake from them you can't go and get depth everywhere, right? You have to kind of pick and choose your spots and and you're not going to be able to have with 53 guys in the roster, you know, depth at, at every spot that you want it. And, and so this was just, I think, unfortunately, one of the positions that was clear that they needed some help and they never really went and got it. And now here we are. The research department is in my ear. Uh, and actually, this is one of the benefits of having the live stream. Uh, it is Cameron Dantzler cornerback for the Minnesota Vikings. He was a healthy scratch and he was, I think a third round pick, uh, a mid round pick somewhere in there. And, and so the Niners are like, you know, why not? Let's go ahead and see whether you're willing to deal for a quarterback or for a cornerback that you had an active decent enough strategy. And hopefully it works out because he actually had a, a decent enough year last year in coverage. Uh, and he's young. And so, you know what, if you're going to trade assets for someone may as well be a young guy who's still in his rookie deal. That makes a ton of sense. So they're trying to solve the problem now. Um, but if you're looking for answers from Drake Kirkpatrick, you're not going to find them. If you're looking for answers from Josh Norman, I don't think you're going to find them. I think you're really going to find that uh, hopefully Emmanuel Mosley's knee gets better. And hopefully Damodor Lenoir is the guy that everyone hopes and thinks that he is. 
because if those two corners can at least hold up for the rest of the season and maybe Ambry Thomas gets some more seasoning um, and looks quite a bit better than he has thus far, I do think he's got some ways to go. Um, yes. Then maybe the Niners can kind of skate by with some of the pressure that they're going to be able to get with D Ford and Nick Bosa because they looked good. They look good against the Lions. And, and I mean, the team bet on the defensive line, and that's what's successful for them so far. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're going to need those guys, uh, especially along the edge, right, to to stay healthy, to be out there and be super productive. Like, they're, they're going to need those guys to come through because, uh, yeah, they're, they're going to be left a bit thin on the back end, and they're going to have some games where, I mean, uh, probably a lot of games where they are just outmatched um, from a personnel standpoint, when you look at the the opposing skill position players and what they have in the secondary. And so um, they're going to need to be very good at, at pressuring the quarterback and forcing that ball to get out quickly. Part of the reason the injuries are such a big deal is because of the upcoming game against the Eagles. And the Eagles, look, I watched that game. They looked fun. Jalen Hurts looked like an actual starting quarterback that could do some damage. And while I know the Eagles schemed up a lot for him, they didn't have to throw the ball down the field very much, that that team looked good. They looked way better than the team that beat the Niners last season. <laughs> so granted, that was with a different quarterback, but nevertheless, I, you know, I, maybe I'm still recovering from last season's trauma where the Niners think they're going to win that game and then end up not winning that game to Carson Wentz. But it, you know, you've got to, I think two questions come up to mind first when you're talking about this Eagles game on Sunday. And first is, is whether or not the Niners can fix their run defense, knowing that the Eagles have a back like Miles Sanders that could take advantage. Yeah, I, I think those issues are going to be tested because you see what Philadelphia was able to do, you know, against that Atlanta defense and, and just from pure numbers standpoint, it was was very good, right? I mean, they had 173 total yards. That was behind only Baltimore last week. Um, and then the efficiency was there, too. They were the sixth highest in terms of percentage of their run plays that generated positive EPA. Uh, they had six explosive plays, so those 15-plus runs. Um, that was tied for the most in week one. So, yeah, they were really kind of clicking in terms of the ground game there. And, and then I think what they did from a passing standpoint, which we'll get into really kind of built off all that. I mean, honestly, it's, it's a different flavor of what the 49ers want to do offensively. Like I think a lot of the end goals are there in terms of, you know, they want to, they, they do want to run the ball. They want to do things that are going to, um, from a scheme standpoint, make things easier for their quarterbacks and get guys open and, and get their playmakers in space. Um, and, and so they're, they just go about it a little, in a little bit different manner than the 49ers do. And I think in the run game from a scheme wise, I mean that, that get guys in space is still there, right? So you see a lot of the things that we've talked about, um, that we kind of expect to see from the 49ers offense when Trey Lance gets out there full time, right? A lot of the, the quarterback run stuff from the shotgun. Um, I mean, they're doing that in Philadelphia, right? That's what Jalen hurts is doing. Um, uh, the the craziest stat that I, f I feel like I saw in in kind of looking up stuff about their week one game of those 173 yards that they had on the ground, 60% of them came before contact. So they were getting guys again in space. And some of that was like uh, Jalen Hurts um, when he would keep it on, on a lot of the read stuff that they were doing. I mean, he was just having a ton of open space in front of him on on his actual designed quarterback runs uh he had 38 total yards and 30 of them he got before contact 
So he he was able to find space, but then they had a lot of times where the back, whoever it was, whether it was uh, Sanders or uh, the other guy, I forget um, who, who got some significant touches there. But um, re- regardless, like they were getting them on on stuff that was, you know, had a lot of room to run into because of of the concern that you have for Jalen Hurts and, and kind of what that defense had to focus on. And so it, it's just going to be a big part of what they do. They're going to be in shotgun pretty much the entire time. Um, you know, they're, they're the top team in week one in terms of percentage of shotgun plays over 90% of the time. And you're just going to see a lot of those things that we've talked about where the QB run game is going to be a big factor. And so because of that, because of uh, the, the additional complications that you get from adding the QB as a run threat, as well as a lot of the motion and things that you're going to get from them as well, like a lot of the things that gave the 49ers problems from a run defense standpoint, right, is is going to be there again this week. And so they're going to need to get that stuff cleaned up quickly. And they've got another athletic center who is really good in space and good on the move in Jason Kelsey. There was a play in the third quarter with about 10 minutes left. It looked like a sweep to the right-hand side. And they pull Jason Kelsey, and he is running down the field and makes two key blocks where he knocks people over. And, and I mean, he's just running down the field, leading the, the vanguard. And and it is, it's going to be another situation where if, the, if you, you look at what Ragnow did, now you've got another center like Kelsey who is athletic, who can move, who can get out in space. Um, it's going to be interesting to see w- whether or not the Niners linebackers are going to be able to be a bit more effective against the Eagles. Um, and, and, you know, you talk about what Hertz does in the quarterback run game. That sets up some of the zone read kind of pass options that they played. That, that their scheme was really interesting. It looked, I mean, it it looked comfortable for Hertz because it looked like what you would see a college offense run a yeah. lot of the time with the screens and the bubbles and the quick hitting plays and getting them in space and not having to throw too often downfield. I mean, a lot of it was schemed for Hertz, but Hertz looked comfortable running it, and he was able to be effective on some really neat looking stuff just because of the threat of the run, the quarterback run. And then you throw some of the RPOs and the options on top of it. And and they schemed up a good game for Jalen Hurts. And it was overall very effective. Now we have to put the caveat out there that it is against Atlanta. And Atlanta's defense is probably not going to be one of the best defenses in the league. But nevertheless, they still executed against an inferior defensive opponent, even if it may not have been inferior overall. And and that is always what you want to do. You want to beat up on the the units that are worse than you. And the Eagles made it look like they did. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, um, you need to go out there and, and take care of business against those teams um, that are, you know, you the, at least I guess you feel like are clearly inferior to you. I, I wouldn't have said that the Eagles were clearly a better team necessarily by that margin, at least like uh, going into the game. But yeah, I think they showed offensively that that things were clicking for them. And uh, yeah, I think it was just a, a kind of a cohesive piece. I mean, if you move now to the passing game from that and kind of the things that they were able to do off of all of the the stuff that they were doing in the run game, I mean, you mentioned the RPOs. Again, it was another one of those things where Philadelphia top of the league in week one, 19 plays uh, with an RPO called uh, in, in week one there, which was a little bit over a quarter of their offensive plays. Um, that was good for second in the league behind Miami. So um, that's going to be a big part of it. And I mean, they, they, uh, you mentioned a little bit of in terms of like the bubbles and some of the screens and stuff that they were doing. I mean, he got a lot of help from those playmakers. I mean, they have, I think, uh, the, the main difference other than obviously the quarterback position for them this year is that they seem to have some skill position players that are actually healthy and, and in a spot to contribute. Right. I mean, so you've got a lot of young players there with Sanders in the backfield, and then you've got 
Devonta Smith and Jalen Rager, who um, bring a lot of speed and explosiveness at that wide receiver position. Of course, you still got Zach Ertz around. Um, I mean, Dallas Goddard as, as a second tight end is very good. So they have a lot of weapons to be able to throw to and, and get the ball to, and they are really prioritizing getting the ball to them as quickly as possible. I mean, nearly half of Hertz's completions in this first game were targeting guys behind the line of scrimmage. 13 of his 27 completions were to guys behind the line of scrimmage. So it's going to be, uh, I, I think that element actually could work in the 49ers favor because the one thing that they are very good at defensively is I think coming up and making tackles, right? I think that they have some speed defensively and, and they do a good job of, of kind of closing and making tackles on guys on, on some of that underneath stuff. So hopefully that works out, but I, I think the test is going to be more of a lot of the pre-snap stuff and the way that those things are set up from Philadelphia. That's going to be the, the big key for the 49ers. Yeah. Quez Watkins is a player that is, he caught the first two bubbles for the Eagles to open the game. That dude is very, very fast. If he's in space, I am very, very worried. Um, but we saw the Niners linebackers get to really make really, really strong tackles against the Lions. They were coming up. They were flying. If they can do that against the Eagles, I think you're right. It might bode well for them. I do think that this is going to be an interesting test for D'Amico Ryan's flexibility. Because you look to last season, and last season, Robert Sala, you know, we've talked at length on this podcast about how he's moved his defense from being a single high defense to really a more multiple defense and they're playing some too high they're playing cover six cover four and and they do like to play cover four a lot especially on early downs last season you you look at the first two weeks of the season the first week was against arizona they played over 60 percent cover four in week one against arizona last year and then in week two they're playing the jets and then they switched to over 60 percent single high they were really playing their coverage based on their opponent they played a lot of single high last week I'm curious to see if we're going to see a high too high, like a high percentage of too high quarters or cover six or something against this more college looking offense with RPOs where cover four really makes a whole lot of sense. Or if we're going to see D'Amico Ryans be a bit more static in the way that he calls games. This to me is going to be really interesting based on what it is that Philadelphia does, because I would expect him to play more too high stuff. I'd expect him to play more quarters and that might actually make their defense a bit more effective against the Eagles than if they just stick with their single high. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, is in terms of approach defensively playing more quarters and, and things like that, uh, can definitely be helpful. Playing more man coverage is, is an approach against RPO teams, right? Because I think that's going to be how they handle the RPOs is, is going to be interesting. I feel like, because if you, even if you play some of the quarter stuff and, and still a zone structure there, right. Uh, you're going to have space, you know, especially if if some of those players that are being put in conflict, you know, whoever the read defender is, whether that's, you know, likely going to be like a linebacker, um, but but whoever it is that they're reading to kind of give them that run pass read uh, is going to be, you know, he's always going to be in that conflict where he has to decide, is he going to come up to the run fit? Is he going to sit there and, and sit on the pass route first and then kind of work up to the run late? Um, you know, they have to have a clear plan there with how they're going to work it. And, and if you go to just man coverage, you kind of, um, don't have to worry about that element of it, right? Because your, your coverage defenders are locked up with 
they're eligible receivers, right? So if you have, if, if they split out three wide receivers to one side of the field, like they're going to be three 49ers players over there. that are locked in man coverage that aren't worried about the run right away. Right. So you, you are better off in terms of eliminating some of that conflict, but you're also in man coverage, right? And, and you have a secondary again, that's thin and, and that is uh, not at its best right now. And, and I don't know that some of those matchups are going to be great for them if they go man coverage. So I think, yeah, how they decide to approach that and, and kind of defend this offense is going to be very interesting. Yeah. I don't know that I want to see the Niners corners in man coverage against Devonta Smith. No, like no that's, that's not something I'm looking forward to. That's not. And so that means they've got, I think that's why they play more quarters. They play more zone, hopefully. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what happens with, with uh, D'Amico Ryans and how he calls the game. One quick note about the linebackers, because as I was, I think, sending out some tweets earlier this week, it, it hit me that we should all be reminded that uh, I think Johnny Holland, who was the linebackers coach, he had to leave due to health reasons. And he's the linebackers coach. And then James Betcher replaced him as linebackers coach. So if you're thinking about, you know, and I'm not saying that James Betcher is a bad linebackers coach, and that's why the Niners run game, uh, a run defense was bad. But it's just something to think about whenever you have a quick change coach, styles change, things change. It may have some kind of an impact on the linebackers, and we'll see if if their play stabilizes over the course of the year. I mean, I'm expecting Fred Warner's play to stabilize quite a bit. Um, and now it's it's uh, Aziz Alshire season at this point. Um, he looked fast. He looked like he could hit, but man, got to see him maintain his gaps. Got to see him actually play the assignments well. And that's, I think when we watched him last year, that was a little bit of what we saw with him too. It was a little kind of like either lost or freelanced um, and could recover because of his speed. But nevertheless, it's now it's now time to see whether or not he can he can play with the starters. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously the run defense from week one was was concerned in terms of Alshair, but uh, you know, I do think he, he was solid in, in coverage, right? And I think he did some good things there. And and I'm less worried about, I mean, obviously it's uh, not ideal to not have Greenlaw in there and, and uh, you know, we're going to miss him for sure. But having Al Shair in there is less my concern. It's more that now if either one of those top two guys and Warner and Al Shair get hurt, you're down to what, two guys that converted from safety? Um, that are going to be potentially getting time and that are going to get some time uh, in, in situations where you got your base defense out there. So that that is not great. I feel like Marcel Harris is a little bit like Dante Johnson. Like he's just inevitable. It always comes back to Marcel Harris, whether it be at safety or linebacker. He is always there. He is like the the pairing yeah. barnacle, the other, the other foci in the ellipsis. Um, you know, it's just, it's inevitable, I guess, but, um, are you, are you worried about the game? Cause I, I'm a little worried. I think there's one thing that gives me a little bit of, 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 I hope is the wrong word, but it's like when I saw Atlanta get, start to gash them on the ground early in the game, the Eagles were playing this really not weird. I mean, they were playing a, an interior front that was really trying to pack the middle. They were playing with two, four eyes. Um, effectively covering up both guards and they've got three down linemen and then you've got two linebackers outside. So five man front. They're really trying to stop that outside zone. And and the Falcons kept getting cutback runs on the outside zone over and over and over again. And they were gashing them. I think if the Niners can do that, it's going to be a relatively stress-free Sunday. But I, that Eagles offense, it, it did it did kind of give me a little bit of worry when I'm thinking when I think about how Hertz is able to operate, how he's able to move with his legs. Um, and what Devonta Smith can do to the corners. Um, my, my worry rating is probably higher than it was before week one. Yeah, definitely. Definitely higher than it was coming into the season. Um, I, and I think that side of the ball is the, 
the side that is most concerning, right? I think um, the 49ers defense is definitely, uh, you know, I, 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 which isn't necessarily that surprising, but I don't think it's it's looking like it's going to be as strong, right, as it was last season. Even, you know, last year they just did such a great job and Robert Sala did such a great job of, of continuing to put out a very good unit despite all of those injuries, right? And I think their, their production definitely outpaced what you would have expected based on the players who were on the field. Um, and, and so I don't know that that was always going to be something that was super likely to stick around. Right. I, I think eventually some of those flaws are going to show through and uh, you know, especially on the back end there. So yeah, I do worry about the 49ers defense and in that matchup, I think the the most concerning thing there is, is that Jalen hurts. Not only was he so efficient, right. And, and obviously he did the the things that were easy and schemed up, but when he did have to make some of those throws downfield, he was good there too. But he also took really good care of the ball. I mean, he he didn't have any turnover worthy plays, right? Like he only had even one throw that was that was pretty inaccurate. You know what I mean? Like he just wasn't putting the ball out there in a spot where the defense could take advantage. And uh and, and I think like even in situations where, you know, maybe he didn't get the ball out when he needed to, maybe there was a receiver open that that he didn't get it out to on time, like he just always, it was always the safer route, right? He wasn't going to be risky with the ball. He was only going to take the chances that were available to him. And if, and if it wasn't there, if he wasn't comfortable with it, like he was just going to pull it down and and take off and scramble or, or look to kind of extend things and, and make plays outside of structure. And so that part is, is worrying, like whether they're going to be able to do anything to kind of create turnovers defensively. Cause I think that's going to be big, but I do feel good about the 49ers offense as well. Like, I mean, they, they look so good and it's hard not to think that they're going to, you know, be able to put up points against damn near anyone when they're playing that way. So the, the line I think is three and a half points. Do the Niners win and do they cover? I mean, I think they definitely cover. I, I would be surprised if this is like, um, you know, a, a sizable Eagles victory, um, given the way that things went in week one. I, I'll, I'll say the 49ers win. I do think they win. I do think they're a better team. Yeah. I think, I think it'll actually be a higher scoring game than we yeah, think. I think it'll be like, I think the Niners put up over 30 and I think the Eagles could get within like 28. So, I mean, I think like 31, 28, somewhere in there, you know, is, is ultimately where, where I think it'll land, but but yeah, but I think that does it for this Thursday edition of the Better Rivals podcast. It feels weird. These episodes are shorter, and I'm not sure how I feel about that, but I also don't <laughs> think that we need to stretch it out to an hour. So yeah, um, thanks for tuning in. Make sure to, tu- to go to the Patreon. You can watch us live. You can see David and watch him flip his screen back and forth and get all discombobulated uh, live on air. It's hilarious. Um, <laughs> David, tell him about the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Better Rivals. Um, we've been we've been hinting at it leading up to it teasing it out right like we're we're finally here we're getting into the swing of that in season rhythm um and and again we're going to be coming up with a bunch of new stuff this this year and and the live streams are part of that you know weekly videos um we we have a discord server now so you can ch- come hang out with us and and chat with the community there um so a lot of fun things again patreon.com/betterrivals head there buy us a beer be one of the patreon elite you can do it Head to the Discord. Talk to us there. You can follow me on Twitter at Better Rivals. Thanks again for tuning in. And as always, go Niners.